welcome back everybody to Money in the Tank episode 35. Uh, more topical information today to talk all things finance with you guys, have a bit of fun along the way and hopefully make it nice and easy for our listeners and viewers, whichever format you may be watching us on to follow along. Uh, any questions at all as well, reach out. We've got some good Q&As today. Uh, unfortunately, Rivkin's not with me, which is a real shame. I haven't told the boys yet. I didn't want to let him down early. Um, so we'll, we may have to miss that section today. But nah, I'm Googling right now. There's no, uh, we never <laughs> miss a Rivkin's rules. Um, so, yeah, so we've got some great Q&As today. We've got uh, really good uh, topical information with all things interest rates that are going on around the world, um, flowing into that with inflation as well. Uh, the kind of craziness going on in the stock market at the moment and, and what that means and, and how that all works. Um, the Q&A is actually relating to that in terms of the, the market slump, which we'll cover off on later on. A um, bit of crypto news uh, and any other hot news items with Arnie for his uh, rapid fire rundown. But uh, Arnie, where can the tankers get at us if they have any questions, they want to follow us or subscribe to us? Yeah, please do subscribe, like, comment uh, and uh, get us at Money in the Tank on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And I've got to be more active on Instagram, but yeah, but get us on those guys. And awesome. I, I got a Rivkin spot. Earn your subscribe, but uh, yeah, we're out every week. So, yep. Without further ado, as well, Joel Seach, Principal Advisor, Harpel Financial Group, Arndog. Yeah, Arnie, Tax Professional. And Brad Savone, Generalist. All right. Rivkin's rules. I got, I got a few here, but I've just picked out one which I think is interesting. So, charting. Chart, you know, as in like, I think he's talking about technical, technical analysis, analysis here. Yeah, you never like charters. Yeah, so he's, the quote is, charting is useful only for one thing as far as I'm concerned, and that's to show you where a stock has been. As for showing you where a stock is going, that is absolute garbage. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Char charters, is that still a big thing now? Like, I know oh, yeah. people that kind yeah. of like, talk yeah. on being chartists and they look at charts and... Fibonacci, freaking yeah. bands and all this sort of stuff. There's, uh, people refer to it as astrology for men, which I think... <laughs> One sexist, but also very funny. But um, but I know that there's like certain trading now that will look at the percentage chance it's going to hit a band either up or down, like on a, on a particular stock. And I don't know enough about like the statistics and the log scales behind it, but it just sounds like advanced charting, which is all bullshit. Mate, all the models that show you whether it's the rainbow, whether it's the green and um, red in the bands and shows you if it hits this it's going to go along the rest of it i mean they're all just yeah it's just models and numbers yeah really i mean it used to have some some basis back probably in the 80s and 90s when you models were coming out to track human behavior and stuff like that but as soon as like high frequency trade like trading came in and like way smarter quantitative analysis and hedge funds no nah. Yeah, it's all it's like all a, algorithm. A human driven. charting versus like what's happening like with with high like high frequency trading. No, good luck. Yeah, yep. <laughs> ever. But I uh, know I agree. Rifkin for once. Um, yeah, I'm 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 more, I think he was more of a fundamentalist. Rifkin, and he sort of uh, I think he, he liked to buy on mergers and acquisitions, and um, yeah, he didn't really like. Uh, Buffett's yeah. a fundamentalist as well. Also, yeah. always says that uh, he's never timed anything. He's never uh, knows where the market's going to go up or down. He's just kind of Who's bought that? at the right times. Buffett. Buffett, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it's... just bought. He just literally looks at the company, doesn't even care what's happening with the economy. He just looks at the company and yeah. <laughs> looks at the well, metrics and goes, yeah. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting one. I was probably going to bring it up with the Q&A a bit later, but I'll bring it up now. That I was actually thinking of the car riding this morning that Buffett, I don't know if you guys remember, we spoke about it on the podcast probably about a month or so ago, 
he he whacked in a large purchase of some some significant stocks about a month and a half or so. Forty billion. From, so he put in yeah. Put in, he put in two bill between January and February, and then between the end of February and March, he slotted in forty bill. Yeah. Which back in two thousand and eight, when he did his kind of you know big buys at the bottom, and everyone was like, wow, he did. I think he bet twenty billion at the time, and that was yeah. huge money for them. And yeah, this and time he bank, slotted in the bank stocks and yep. no and also into GE. Safety, yeah. and um, yeah, this time around he slotted in that big 40. So let's go, it goes to show that you know, even the quote unquote best investor in the world, you know, over history, uh, doesn't try to think or time that there's going to be a dip or a crash here in this month of June, or there's going to be a you know, a, a really 10% swing in the SP over the past five days. He doesn't, he doesn't know that, he probably doesn't care that much either. He just he says he doesn't care, Charlie. He looks at the fundamentals of that stock at that time that he wants to buy in and he feels that that's an undervalued stock irrespective of what the market does in the next 12 months. Yeah, basically looking at 5, 10 years, 20 years horizon. I mean, they've yep. hard, yeah, it's, it's, a, yep. it's an interesting way and it's it's not easy. It's such a, it's such a, uh, it's almost a cliche at this point. Like I think it's really good advice from Buffett and Munger to say like, look at the company, look at it like you're owning the whole of a company, look at it like you want to hold it forever. But the interesting part about their trading or their 13F filings every quarter is they're constantly moving in and out. So the caveat is like, yes, it's a very good mindset to be in when you're investing, but you should always be analyzing your businesses and the fundamentals uh, relatively often so that if something changes, like a high debt load as as an easy example, you can move out of that business before... You know, like if, it, if it becomes too risky for you. Mm. I think, Arnie, like you said, it's saying that active, it's an active instead of a passive kind of investment strategy. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, just it's, it's an interesting one though because when you're new and you're coming to the stock market, you go, oh, okay, it, it, it attracts people because it's simple. It's like, okay, I buy and I hold forever. And I feel like you just need to temper what Buffett says sometimes with, yes, if nothing changes, that's mm-hmm. the key to it. Mm. I'd imagine there's some stocks that he's held for a long, long time. He... Yeah, the majority. I mean, some of his big plays he's held for a very, very long time. He's got some wrong. Like, you know, the, the Kraft Heinz merger was bad. Um, some stuff. But, I mean, the majority of the time he does hold. So he does trade in and out. But the majority mm. of his holdings he does actually keep for the long term mm. in a lot of the companies that make big bets on. So Yeah, I know one that springs to mind is Coke. He's had that for a long time, Coca-Cola. Uh, yeah. Another one, I think he might be in one of the banks he was in a lot of the banks and he sold out of a lot of them but i think maybe bank of america he might be still in um and apple he's been in since around 2016 so getting up there for how long yeah. he's held that i one. think the key i mean the key for me is and it's, it's something that i've tried to practice over the last like probably 10 15 years and only getting okay at it now is not to get caught up in the emotions of the market yeah, that's very hard. hard. And yeah. not to try and pick the bottom. So, for instance, like when we talk about the the, the kind of viewers question later on. Mate, um, I'm doing it now. I'm breaking pattern. <laughs> Let's so, go to Q&A. Viewers question it's up too, front. It's, it's too, too topical at yeah, for a question. No, no, so, so Charles, Charles wrote into us, which is great. So thanks, Charles. Good morning. Joel and team, randoms, I know, but wondered if your podcast could possibly do a chat on investing in stocks whilst they're slumping right now. Um, love to have expert opinions on it. Um, general in nature, as always. Yeah, and um, seek not personal, expert, general. <laughs> seek personal financial <laughs> advice and whatnot when it comes to your own situation. So general in nature. So you know, it's just topical because we're talking about it now. And I think, you know, uh, the key word slump there is, you know, when is the slump or how does the slump work? And, you know, what's a, 
what's a slump is you know is it ever the right time to buy and and they're the interesting things that I think people always go through when you talk about emotional investing you know that's that's really what it's all about and I think the the key thing I guess talking about the Munger and the Buffett situation is they are consistent and quite methodical in their approach and they have been for, for over 50 years now um, and they probably do take the emotion out of it to an extent where they're just really looking at the company and what it's doing and how it's doing irrespective of what the broader market's kind of going crazy about and they've done that historically um, and I, I think you know, the interesting thing about when you read about Buffett, he's in the same home that he was in for so many years, he paid himself a minor salary, that, and he lives within his means. They're all things that are just, I think that's just him in general. There's, there's some pretty cool books on that. I think there's one called Good to Great, talks about companies, and generally that CEO that's done that is a very kind of easygoing. Jim Collins, book. good book. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of an easy, the, 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 the characteristic of the personal the individual that took that company there, they're always quite an unassuming person, and um, they're understated and, and Buffett is that way it's not the way not the reason he's gotten rich you know the reason he's gotten rich is very very smart guy very consistent very methodical people also, he, also forget about that Joel which is yeah. like him Charlie and his team are some of the smartest like you know yeah. financial analysts in the world so yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is that yeah super <laughs> super super smart guy um, and he's just methodical and you know unemotional I'd say to an extent as well and he just keeps on doing the same things that he's done for so long um, and he's consistent and not, you know, no one around the world or, you know, very few people are going to be as intelligent or has as much information that he has, but you can definitely adopt the methodical, consistent approach to your investing skills and skill set. Um, even timing the market, timing the market is the hardest thing to try to do in the world. When's the slump going to be? but you can control your controllables by doing things like sequencing risk, which is, you know, getting in at certain periods over a time and, 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 and slowly apportioning your money into an investment to help smooth out those returns over time. Um, there's a, a lot of things you can do to help yourself in regards to that, because it's very, very hard to pick the bottom. It's very, very hard to pick the top, but if you're methodical and consistent, which is one of, you know, Buffett's characters and characteristics and traits, that's one Thing that can go a long way to help you um, remain un un unemotional. I think, you know, for me, when I'm looking at that question, um, you look at, you know, we may be heading into recession, we may be heading into a bear market, you know, these sort of things. And um, these obviously, like, we're in a high inflationary environment worldwide. Um, interest rates are going up, and we'll touch on kind of what's happened in the US over the last week there with their 75 point raise. Um, earlier this morning in Australia, but, you know, over there, um, is I think risk tolerance is a huge thing during these times. So what is your individual risk tolerance? How much are you willing to lose? Um, don't make any moves that you, I guess you can't afford. Um, don't play if it's not in your DNA. So don't force things just because, like, you feel like you need to buy at the moment. I think that risk tolerance one is something personally, um because sometimes, and I'm sure we've all done it, you go, oh, okay, I should do that. And you're like, nah, nah, nah. And then you see it play out over six or 12 months and you see, you remember the ones that you would have killed 
<laughs> you don't necessarily remember the ones that you would have slumped, right? The old, fo- the old FOMO, fear of yeah, missing out. Yeah, fear of everyone's, missing out. You know, everyone's getting a win. You would have seen so much of that with crypto and the market. Everybody the talks about the wins, right? Not the losses. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's like gambling in a way, right? You remember the wins and, and then not the losses. So risk tolerance is a huge one. So play within kind of your own budget, your own whatever your own individual or like family investment goals are. Um, so that's what that's one. Um, anticipation is one for me, which is, for instance, you know, I've got a personal opinion and have held, held it for a good 12, 18 months that, you know, um, buy now, pay later companies um, are going to probably, you know, face some headwinds in the coming times. And, you know, they're facing headwinds in the current times, you know, run down 90%. Um, you know, for me, it discretionary spending um, is going to get less and less as inflation kind of rises and interest rates come out. And so, you know, what what companies are going to get hit more by that? Um, and so start looking more at value stocks. Um, you know, personally, again, generally nature and the rest of it, I've got opinions on where real estate's going. So if I was looking, you know, looking to invest into real estate or stocks or whatever that relate to it, um, I'd probably hold off and, and kind of wait a little while for me. So I think anticipation is trying as much as possible, whatever kind of fields or types of companies or um, things that they do that interest you, that you want to read up on. I kind of recommend doing that and learning a bit about what these actual companies, these companies do. Um, and I think monetized fear is also something. So if you think that a certain, you anticipate that something's coming and that's might, and you look at the companies and you work out whether it's based on, you know, PE ratios or price of book or whatever it is, that you think, great. Um, and you anticipate something company, don't kind of, you know, anticipate fear. So, you know, if there's a good buying opportunity, jump in. And like Joel said, you don't need to jump in all at once. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the that's the key. So, you know, for me personally, there's some, some companies I'm looking at. I'm probably personally going to wait until I start seeing inflation numbers kind of not necessarily drop, but start kind of not necessarily growing at at the rate that they are because um, I you know, personally feel like there could be some more more drops. I'm not going to try and time the market. I'm just going to try and kind of go, okay, well, this is what I believe in and I'll start investing a little bit over time um, into those areas, but not all. And uh, I think carry cash, cash during these times is king. A lot of people are like, oh, you would have lost money due to inflation, but I would have lost a lot more money if all my money was in crypto and stocks. <laughs> so I'm happy to take my... Uh, my 6% loss, 7% loss, 8% loss on my cash at the moment. Um, That's me. Always leave yourself a bit of a buffer. So just to refresh, Chelsea's question was, what do we think about buying stocks uh, while the market's in the slump? Was that right, Jolly? Yeah, yeah, basically. 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 Yeah, Yeah, so I guess the boys are giving you some good sort of high-level general advice. Brad was sort of touching on something practical there. I think the best way to think about... um, whether a stock looks attractive or not is to apply some sort of framework and the simplest and best framework, I think for anyone in the market, and I'm not, I, I don't know. So I'm not presuming to know, understand Chelsea's experience or anything, but uh, the one that all, I always come back to is value investing. And I think one of the best depictions of value investing is done by an author called Phil town. So if you wanted to get like a practical guide on how to value a company, it's a really easy starting place and it gives you all the steps. So he's got three books out and a podcast. The books are called Rule One, Payback Time and Invested. Invested is a book written by his daughter and it's based on their podcast. So I think the podcast on Spotify. 
And but long story short, they talk about the four M. So they talk about moat, which is, you know, what is the brand's um, thing that makes them unassailable by their competitors. They talk about management. They talk about meaning to you. So is it in your circle of competence like Buffett would um, well, describe? Your kind of your interest, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> your, your interest. It doesn't even have to be your interest. It's can you understand it, right? Like, can you pick up like something about the company and go, oh, okay, I understand this. That's your circle of competence. I guess if I'm not interested, I get personal. If I'm not interested in saying, I don't want to kind of learn about it. <laughs> well, the, the way the way that Phil Town would describe it is he puts three circles. It's basically like, how do you earn money? How do you spend money? And um, I forget the other one. Maybe it's interest anyway. But long story short, he's got hacks for how you do the uh, the meaning one. And the fourth M is margin of safety. And that means buying at a 50% discount to whatever the fair value is that you ascribe to it once you've gone through the valuation process. So what, what would I be looking at in a company right now, Chelsea? I'd be looking at um, cash flow, strong cash flow, cash flow for owners, the return on invested capital. I'd be looking at their sales growth over nine years, seven years, five years, three years, one year. I'd be looking at earnings per share over the same time periods. I'd be looking at equity and I'd be, and I already mentioned cash flow for owners. And then once I've done that, I would look at what I expect to get like the rate of return for that company based on some of those metrics. And then I would apply the margin of safety and I would do evaluation. So we as a channel do plan on maybe doing some sort of um, doing a few I think, things. Uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, like a good good uh, explanation video on like how you value and the model. I can even throw my model across would be good. Yeah, I think we'll... You and I can like have a think about that, but just for, just for the moment, I, I don't want because I don't want anyone to wait for us to do it. So you can go and there's heaps of YouTube tutorials oh, yeah. about this kind of thing as well. So because <laughs> because you want to take advantage of the market right now, Chelsea, and anyone listening, then fair enough. So what have I invested in? This is general in nature. Uh, I invested in a company pretty recently, which was Magellan Financial Group. It's on the ASX, and they are basically a company that aims to invest in the world's best companies, and they've taken a huge hit because they invest in companies like. Facebook, Netflix, Alibaba, Tencent, um, but and they, I think, yeah, exactly. So they've they've gone like really, really. They've taken a huge hit, and it's almost like catching a falling knife, as they say. Because I've, from when I bought, they're already down another fifteen percent or so. I can't remember exactly. They also uh, lost their key CEO and chief investment officer Hamish. Yes, they um, did. Well, yeah, a bit of a meltdown. And they also they also had some of their biggest clients pull huge amounts of funding out. So. But, but I mean, this is all like, and I, I feel for that dude, Hamish, and he's obviously a great mm. stock picker and has been over the years. I think um, he's recently just come back on as consultant again. Yeah, well, that's, that's positive news for them. But what I mean is like, I look at that company, I, I went in and looked at their annual reports, I looked at their financial position and how strong they are. Uh, and, and also one other mention, one other thing I might mention is they pay a very high dividend. And I feel like when you're in a market that's slumping, getting big yields like that mm -hmm. from places is one of the best things you can do because it allows you to keep reinvesting and, and keep refreshing that cash position that Brad and Joel talked about, because you don't want to just dump it all in at once and then find yourself in a scenario like me where you, you're down 15, 20%. Because, you know, if I love this company 15 or 15 or 20% ago, I love it even more now. So I want to be able to dollar cost average in a little bit and, and, and buy as time goes on, because no one knows if it's going to go up or down, but what Brad and Joel have said is prudent is that, you know, if CPI doesn't flatten out, if CPI doesn't drop, it's likely that interest rates will rise and our interest rates in America will rise and then Australia will follow suit because they want our currency to stay relatively strong versus the American dollar. So 
that will cause stocks in, in, in our market to drop as we've seen over the last couple of days. So long story short, um, I would look at some of those things I mentioned regarding field town and value investing. I would, I would look at how to value a company. And then if you find a company you like that's hitting those, um, those metrics that I mentioned or, or ones that you find yourself then invest in it and don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to dip your toe in, but I would caution not going all in and all in at once. Yeah. And for those that aren't as keen on wanting to necessarily dig into that detail for specific tops, whether they don't have the time or the, you know, the instinct or the want to do that, there are a myriad of different options of index funds and ETFs and whatnot that have market segment and you can sort of select to say, okay, well, maybe I'll set up a portfolio in this area here and just have the index work for me and um, dollar cost in that way. And that saves the time if you're not that way inclined, because not everyone is, you know, we see all different types of people in the advice world and, and some people are busy doing their professional day-to-day -day jobs and don't have an interest in doing that. So there's another, there's other options. There's plenty of options out there for people to, to do their certain things um, that they want to do. Now I was going to share screen quickly because it's, um, it's a great uh, segue that you made, Arnie. This is just a bit of inflation numbers that I was reading before. But this one here um, was a graph that I got handed by a colleague actually the other day. And I'll have some cool graphs that will come in ne to next week's podcast as well that are quite um, interesting with the current environment. So this is just as time horizons grow, equity losses fall off. So the probability of negative returns based on S&P 500, which is the Standard & Poor's top 500 companies in the US, total returns from 1929 to present. So if you're invested in one day, you've got a potential chance of a 46% negative outcome. Then you've got one month, one quarter, one year, three years, five years, and 10 years. So as your time horizon maintains in a portfolio, your chances or probabilities of a negative return drop off dramatically over a period. So that's what we talk about when chopping in and chopping out of investments in terms of making emotional decisions can sometimes work against you when you are investing because investing is a long-term play and a long-term gain. So that was just an interesting probability of negative return if your time horizons are a certain amount there in the S&P 500. Yeah, that's very informative. And I think we, we always bang that drum and I feel like it's just a really good way to do it. Like it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you shouldn't be thinking about selling your companies if they 10 times or whatever and, they, and the valuation looks like it's overvalued. Like that's why I was saying before, you need to be constantly monitoring it. But at the same time, um, in, in periods like this where there's extreme fear and people have seen their portfolios drop by a lot, um, you know, the psychology of a human, you start to think, oh, I should take my money while I've got it. And then you might be blundering. You might be making a big mistake, but who knows? And for those listening to us that aren't watching it on YouTube, apologies. The, the graph is essentially showing holding an investment for one day is a 46% chance of a negative return. And the graph slowly goes down from one month to one quarter to one year to three year to five years from 38%, 32%, 25, 16, 10% for five years and a 6% chance of a negative return for 10 years. So for the listeners out there, if you weren't, weren't watching us on YouTube, apologies. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll try to put it up on the channel too. And I'll have some more cool slides next week, which we'll go through as well. Does that mean that 54% of days since 1929 have been up days? No, it means that if you only held for one day, there's a 54% chance you lost money. 40, 46? 46% 46 chance. 46 yeah, so 54% chance you made money. Which yeah, but only if you held for one day. That's what I mean. So if I bought every single day. 
<laughs> and then sold in the same sold, day. Sold the same day. Yeah. Um, I'm up 8%, ain't I? Ain't from losses. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, just, no, I'm just joking. The brokerage boss. <laughs> just stuff it around. Yeah. Yeah. My broker is not so good there. Damn <laughs> the spreads. Damn the spreads. Yeah. I think historically it's like 70% up markets, 20%, 29, uh, 71 up markets, 29 down markets, something like yeah. that. Yeah. I've, I've got 34% down markets. Yep. But yeah, I mean, same, same. Um, I mean, I think that kind of, you know, the question kind of leads itself into probably, you know, what's going on in the Aussie markets this week? What's happening in the crypto markets? What's happening in the international markets? And I think the big one is um, that we can talk about is the US CPI number was higher than anticipated, 8.6%, um, showing that it's still gaining by the most since 1981. And uh, subsequently, Jay Powell came out and... Uh, did what probably most people probably thought, which is he should have done 100, but didn't want to uh, fire the bazooka too much and scare the market. So he did 75 instead. Mm. Um, markets responded initially very positively in the US after the actual announcement today. I don't know where things... Yeah, I think they finished up about 300 points. I don't um, know where the markets, but um, yeah. subsequently, be- be- I mean, the inflation rate was announced last week. And so we had this in-between period where the US markets tanked on inflation data on Friday, which is our Saturday, and our markets were closed Monday. Yeah. And so we had a bit of a bloodbath uh, this week until we got a bit of an idea around what's happening around um, yeah. around interest rates. And I think, you know, the, the key things there are a few things, which is um, they, they fired 75 base points. And they're saying another 50, 75 should be kind of um, expected. <laughs> uh, next, 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 uh, and then, then a bit of a wait and see. We had our Reserve Bank come out and say they uh, believe that uh, we'll hit highs of about seven percent inflation by the end of this year before easing in the first quarter and coming down in the second half of twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah, and I think they uh, get that inflation number between for the listeners out there between two to three percent. Is the RBA's uh, long term? Yeah, yeah, and the governor. Um, uh, Philip Lowe mentioned that it's reasonable that the cash rate may get to two and a half percent at some point. Um, and he sort of says that, you know, that because the midpoint of the inflation target is two and a half percent. So if an interest rate gets two and a half percent, inflation adjusted terms is a real interest rate of zero, which in historical terms is quite a low number. So to expect that over time, um, they'd get an average inflation adjusted interest rate a bit more than zero. Um, how fast it gets to two and a half percent, he says, and whether we get there will be determined by events. So, you know, the events he talks about, uh, you know, some of the events are a bit out of uh, our control, such as external factors. And that's that's the reason that the inflation um, now expects to get to seven percent is because of wars in Ukraine and global supply issues, which we've spoken about a number of times before. And I'll talk about kind of gas in a bit more when we talk about news. But I think, you know, the the, the key thing to kind of realise about where, where we are at the moment probably is if we're still in this kind of what I call the finding out phase. I think the world is trying to kind of, we've all, the world's woken up to inflation. They're trying to tackle it. They know kind of what's causing it. Um, uh, I wish kind of more governments would probably focused. I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that some of the structural reasons, underlying reasons for the symptom of inflation or the outcome of inflation um, takes a while to fix supply chain supply side and the logistics side and and the rest of it so um and we're in a bit of a different world like we talked about last week so it'll be interesting kind of just we're in this phase of you know qt and and trying to get inflation under under wraps and so just again going back to kind of the the question of the of um of of the audience member 
Um, that's kind of just where we are. So you've got to take that into account when, when we're still in this kind of who knows when and what is going to actually peak and what number is going to be. Um, and then subsequently, the higher it goes, um, the more impacts it has onto different things like, you know, cost of debt on, you know, cost of um, living, a whole bunch of stuff. So, and then that affects as well. The market broadly, like the stock markets broadly, are a very, very early forward leading indicator of what they expect the economy to get to. And it's usually six, 12 months in advance is what they're thinking, if not a bit more in terms of what are they, what's the, the traders and what's the floor seeing play out six and 12 months in, in, in time. So they're still sort of seeing and, and factoring these things in. So, you know, once, you know, that's what yes. I, I mean about making your decisions around a stock, you know, um, you, that's why you want to make your decisions around with the investment philosophy you're having and have that as that kind of, um, you know, time frame that you want to be in something quality for that period of time because it meets all your, your criteria. Um, but if you're trying to sort of pick stocks or, or do certain things, the markets factor things in well in advance. And, potentially- and depending on outcomes, right? So if the market's factoring in 75 basis points and if you did 140, it would indicate, okay, well, it's way worse and blah, 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 And then they'll, they'll jump down even more. But if they kind of inflation numbers came back at like, let's just say 6% and showed that, oh my God, we've already turned it down to six or six and a half percent just on what we've done now, the market would completely react to that and stuff would start bouncing quickly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that, it's, and that's why you can't really try and pick what the market's going to do because the market's just betting on outcomes and just like sports gambling, <laughs> um, you can believe that, you know, the D's were going to beat the pies, but <laughs> they well, see what I did there, boys. They were rubbing it in there, mate. Just a little <laughs> subtle rubbing it in. But they did it. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and then things adjust. So um, I think we're equal on our way to equal fifth place now. Just, but um, <laughs> go, guys. Uh, <laughs> that's why. Just, just don't, don't. Like, I think like the, what Joel said is that the market is trying to bet in what they think is going to happen, and then depending on what actually happens, the market then knee jerks one way or the other. Well, know? it's in, it's an interesting it's an interesting example from the the FOMC meeting where where Fed Chair Jay Powell spoke because. You mentioned just before, Brad, that he's basically said 75 next month as well, uh, 75 basis points. But I, I think on my reading of it, he was saying if required, and he also tempered it with saying like, do not expect 75 to be like a regular occurrence. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah, want I, it to I be. I read, that. I read that too. Yeah. And, and people were speculating like once it happened and the market pumps, people were like, well, why? Why is it, you know, isn't this negative that, you know, people thought it would be 75 basis points. It is 75 basis points. Why is the market going up? And uh, it, just as an example, Tankers, speculation is that when that occurred, people who were short the market had to cover, which then drove the price up, but then into the close, it came back down a little bit. Uh, speculation that algorithms took over the trading as soon as the short covering was done. And then as that news filters through in the next couple of market days, it's probably likely that we're going to see the stock market come down because those interest rates are going to affect bonds. And uh, when the bond when the bond yields are going up, the stock market's going to come down. down. Just, because capital flows, works. right? People kind of go to something safe when the bond yields are up. Seems exactly. Like and so that's what, like, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts. So uh, back to our point, do conviction and value investing and look at it. Don't try and pick the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Stock markets, stock markets are irrational. Yes, they are. And like, you know, there were some bits around like, okay, well, if he's done 75, if he'd done 100, would the markets actually responded even more positively to that in a way where, you know, 
they're taking a stronger approach and there's going to be less ambiguity and it's going to have a quicker effect and therefore returns are going to come back quicker. Who knows? There's, mm. there's, there's a whole bunch of people out there betting, guys, and uh, don't try and get caught up in betting. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the overarching thing with you know putting my advisor hat on is there's a lot of noise and a lot of things that happen daily and weekly and monthly. The best outcomes over time or some of the most consistent outcomes come over time when you block out the noise, you don't get emotional, you don't try to pick the best, worst, what, what. You're consistent, methodical or over the longer term. That noise and that daily stuff, yes, it's great to have a podcast with. It's great to talk about because it's newsworthy. But over time, you know, that, that kind of consistency approach will actually end up being um, a, a quite a strong approach for you to take because the market's sort of like, a, what do I say? The market's like a boy with a yo-yo. The market is the undulating hill going up over time. The boy with the yo-yo going up and down the hill is is uh, the the weeks and the months, and the actual yo-yo is the daily up and down. It's it's, it's it becomes less and less relevant the days and the months, as opposed to that big mountain that is essentially getting climbed over time. Yeah, and I think you know there is. I've been saying this to a few people over the last couple of weeks. How amused I am about how much noise there is, right? Because this has been coming. I was, I was just speaking this morning to a couple of big um, PE funds in the US, and you know they've got. 20, 30, 40 bill under under management. And, you know, I was giving them a bit of bit of grief because I've been speaking to them on a three monthly basis and about how funny it is how like, you know, January, February this year, I was having conversations and saying things and the same people were across the table from me saying, oh no, no, you know, 12 months, what can go wrong? Da, 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 da. You know, yeah, we're probably inflation, there's probably these problems, but it's not going to be. And then bang, right? It's just and then suddenly the news cycle grabs it and suddenly all this noise, right? And so when the noise is happening, try and ignore the noise because <laughs> it's generally, you know, not what's actually, you know, the, where the, where we're actually heading. So I just, I think that ignore the noise, Joel, is a really, really important one because at the moment, the news is just full of it. <laughs> and, and not knowing like how bad it was going to be. Like we, we knew inflation was coming. We did a podcast about it. Like we spoke about it. And at the time, you know, my general thoughts and feelings were, okay, just invest in real assets. But then who could have foreseen the war between Russia and the Ukraine no and, how, and how much that would have exacerbated the all And the timing existing... of the war, I think, is the... Um... Yeah, it exacerbated the already existing supply chain problems. And then, like, everything... Just as markets were recovering, just as sentiment was recovering. Yeah. So no one can, right? No, no one can. No one, no one so... knows the short term. No one can tell. And that's where consistent, methodical... Plus, you have some insights to Putin. You're putting money into your investment five five years 10 years 15 years those kind of things become less and less relevant to your overall position um and there's a pretty cool graph i'll show next week i remember i was watching a slide recently at a pd day and it talks about when you had your worst kind of days in market we had a really bad day on uh, tuesday, tuesday. This week. um it's usually followed within that month as one of the best days in the market it's really interesting so i'll show that graph next week to the listeners out there so just excuse me sentiment I, th I think i just think that like when the news and the cycle start and everyone gets on the bandwagon and all the rest of it everyone loses sights around kind of okay well what's next because what's happened what people are currently focused on is what's been happening right for yeah. last like and finally they've caught up the mass market's caught up it's got okay well then where's it heading so you know all the noise and kind of start focusing around where things now do you want to um, go through a bit of crypto stuff crypto um, why not Brad? and hopefully that helps um i guess give the viewers a bit of an overview and, a, and an understanding of the different themes around investing just more broadly and how inflation comes into play and how interest rates come into play and your short-term, your long-term approach and everyone's approach is different. And um, yeah, but yeah. Any, 
any questions off the back of that, feel free to hit us up on any of the, the means necessary, examples, channels, or uh, messenger, or email, whatever you want, you can hit us up. Oof, talking about bloodbaths. <laughs> Crypto. <laughs> I think we called it last week saying uh, I would be jumping in at the moment. And uh, again, who could who can guess what's going to happen? Um, this week, I guess, you know, where are we at? Start off with, as we usually do. Uh, Bitcoin sitting around 22K, as low as under 20K at one point. Uh, down from 30,000. So down 24% over the last seven days. Um, and Ethereum down over 30% over the last seven days. And so the markets have uh, tanked. And so I guess, you know, going to a bit of, um, a bit of news, one of them, um, the first one is inflation numbers. So when inflation numbers started coming out last week, um, they're correlated, crypto is correlated, highly correlated. I think I've talked about this before to uh, growth stocks and tech stocks. So a lot of uh, the buying of crypto in 2021, uh, 90% of it was actually institutional um, investors. And so they're highly correlated and inflation data hit markets and hit crypto. Um, the other big news story though was, so we had Luna, <laughs> obviously, and uh, now the crypto world, the, one of the biggest players, if not the biggest player um, for the listeners in, I guess, the DeFi space, decentralized finance space, was Celsius Networks. Um, Jolly, Arnie, you've heard of them or not? No, I haven't. Have yeah, I've, heard I've, of I've definitely heard of them, and probably because of the infamous money manager that works there more than anything to do with crypto. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask a question as well, Brad, with yep. you know, Bitcoin, I guess, you know, more, more so as a alternative asset class, as a differentiator against you know, the market, that was kind of, I guess, some of the thought pattern around it. Mm, look, past. I thought it, I got it wrong. What are we, yeah, what are we seeing? What, what do you think you're seeing with it now as a, as an alternate or an uncorrelated or a less correlated asset? Are you seeing now and is the market seeing that it's, it's probably more correlated to? Yeah. So what happened was, um, I guess, and a good, me included, um, I was big, big as a hedge against what I thought was coming in the markets. Um, so I kind of invested a large percentage of my portfolio. Oh, you know, not all of it, but, you know, a chunk back in 2021, um, June. And um, and some data came out more towards the end of last year. I think it was a Goldman Sachs report um, that showed... So 2020, 87% of all crypto purchases were retail investors. And then in 2021... Like I said before, no, over 90% was institutional investors. And what that did was kind of time it to the market. So you had hedge funds that were trading in equities in different asset classes and included crypto in the asset class. So anytime they needed to rebalance, reshift, pay off stuff, pay off shorts, whatever it is, whenever the markets dipped, it became just completely correlated. Um, and so it, it wasn't following correlation. And then over the last couple of years, it has started to follow basically the the nasdaq i mean there's been a couple of days where it hasn't but overall trends um it is it's kind of following your growth stocks um and not really it was i mean the whole concept behind <laughs> bitcoin especially um is it was supposed to be a deflationary um, asset class in that it is limited supply 
Um, it's not unlimited. And the thesis was that, you know, the financial market, you know, the financial fiat currency and the rest of it, you know, the printing of it and the rest of it was not good for markets and believed that it was going to kind of, you know, ruin things. And we needed to kind of create an alternative asset class. And so that's like the non-conspiracy version. It was actually like the model of itself was it was a deflationary asset. Um, Ethereum at the end of the day, when they, they, um, they introduced uh, burning, um, to kind of keep so the amount of Ethereum created versus the amount of Ethereum burnt actually turned it deflationary. Um, and so while the concept of it was that, and it kind of technically still is gold in terms of its its principal design, um, because it was bought by institutional investors um, and kind of that's where the majority of the buys were, um, where it really rocketed. Uh, we're just seeing it kind of correlated. I personally think it's still going to be correlated with the markets um and i think it's personally again going to be non-correlated at some point over the next two three four years um as as kind of things work themselves out um whether it jumps back up ever like to where we were uh, who knows um but yeah we're for, seeing a high high amount of correlation at the moment for the listeners out there you know the reason around something that's I guess, beneficial of having uncorrelated assets or an alternative asset is that it, not everything moves in the same direction at once where your fully portfolio is fully subjected to all the downturns or your portfolio is fully subjected to all the upturns. You've got a differentiated approach, which means you've got diversified assets, which means if you have to sell down or adjust your situation or whatnot, you've got some assets that are in upwards direction. So you're not taking potential hits and they're not all moving in the same the same rhyme or reason which inevitably helps smooth out a, a portfolio return for you that's sort of one of the reasons people like alternative assets or something that's less correlated so you're not kind of uh, matching everything up moving the same direction correct even even though it looks pretty bleak for crypto i think like this is like for me personally and generally nature tankers like I, there's th this is the time where i'm really starting to look at it and thinking like if it comes down a bit more, there are certain ones I want to buy. And I've always been a crypto skeptic, apart from SHIB, which is the god of all crypto. You've always been down there in 16th place if you're looking at the graph. Yeah, but this in real like real talk now, I, I think like the and Brad has said this before. I think Brad said it on the very first podcast he ever came on to explain crypto to us in greater detail. Most crypto is junk. Most crypto are non-productive assets, but the ones that are attractive in my mind is still Ethereum because of the um, the smart contracts and, and what they're trying to achieve there. And ironically, I think SHIB could be actually a good one if it, if they build on that platform to actually try and become the, the most currency-like of all the cryptos as opposed to a um, an asset like that you hold. Um, and, and, and there's obviously other use cases and Brad would be across more of them. But I mean, Honda came out this week with Tezos. You've got mm. companies like the biggest shipping companies in the world, team up with that. You've got ADA. There is, there is a, there are use behind not all and not the majority, but between the high quality ones, there is a, a, a use that companies are seeing and we're at the infancy stage of it. Um, and I think the, a big part of their desire to own them recently was because of an inflation hedge and mm. that's why i bought it and i was completely wrong um due to its design but i do believe arnie that again my general advice not you know in nature and, and, and the rest of it i personally wouldn't be buying again right now because i believe that it is correlated to the markets 
and I believe markets have further dropped. That's just me. But I do believe that if we have another leg down from where we are at the moment, I think it's, you know, depending on the quality of the of the crypto, you know, myself looking at Bitcoin, Ethereum, obviously Cardano, I'm, I'm kind of big on, not big on uh, Solana anymore, Polkadot, which is one of the Ethereum. So Ethereum and ADA for those who want to do a bit more research um, were two of the three founders of Ethereum. So Ethereum was created by three guys, Vit stayed at Ethereum, George moved to Cardano and did his thing. Um, and I think the guy at Polkadot. Um, and you see them in all of them in the top 10. There's some other stuff out there like Avalanche, number 15, I, I rate, um, and a few others. But I think, you know, if you stick to like five or six of the top coins, um, there's a place for them where they they will, I believe, not correlate with the markets as their use kind of separates from the market and the asset class actually becomes a standalone. Um, but, you know, for instance, uh, what I'm about to talk about is the reason why it really has fallen is we've had a kind of another lunar situation in a big kind of, um, you know, black swan kind of event in terms of in crypto where Celsius, so Celsius. For the listeners out there or for people watching um, on that graph, um, the last seven days, is there a way to change that to say a six month or a 12 month view? Uh, you can on the individuals. So well, like it's, if- it's just, it's more interesting um, to look overall at some of those, um graphs there over seven days with a lot of those ones you just shouted out um they all were moving in a really similar trend Mm. so bitcoin you know a year ago was around the 30 to 40k mark and now we're down at the 20k mark um if i went out to ethereum but just see that see that graph there on the kind of the 20 that you're on there Uh, that's what i was interested to see because seven days it's been a pretty bear market seven days but if you sort of look at that top 16... You and, you ignore the, and you ignore all the stable coins. You ignore like the stable one. coins. There's a really similar... Really similar so trend. what happens in... Because um, the asset class... So the whole asset class is worth, what, one point... I don't know what... It was under $973 billion, right? And because the asset class, Jolly, is made up of... Uh, if you include Bitcoin, it's half the asset class. And Ethereum makes up 150 of the 940. Whatever these two do... The rest of the market largely follows. Okay. And there is like obviously altcoin season and these Bitcoins and Bitcoin usually goes and then altcoin. But when like Bitcoin drops like that, you'll just see the entire... Everything. Again, everything follows. drop. Okay, yeah. cool. Yep. Well, um, that's just how crypto trades at the moment and has well, traded for, for, for a while. Um, great uh, crypto wrap, mate. I'm also, I'm cognizant of time for the list. Yeah, no, I'm just going to quickly touch on Celsius. Yeah. I think it's a big, the big one. Yeah. Um, so Celsius was... For those that like obviously believe in decentralized finance, Celsius was the the, the big player. And so what Celsius did was um, you gave your crypto over to Celsius like a deposit. And um, basically they gave you a return on that deposit anywhere between seven and 17%, depending on the, uh, the crypto. And then they collateralized that and lent that out. So um, basically Celsius had 5,100 Bitcoin 83,000 ETH. Um, they had $750 million in insurance out there. They had $11.8 billion in digital assets under management, um, of which $8 billion had been lent out um, as well. So they basically what happened was um, people started asking for, <laughs> similar to Luna, their money back, <laughs> demanding re- redemptions, and it exceeded Celsius liquid reserves on hand. Um, and so the lender was forced to start unwinding its positions. Um, and so you kind of saw this 
and if I went to seven days, uh, one day, uh, I'll go to one month. You saw this happening uh, late last week. So Celsius went from about 80 cents all the way down to 20 cents yeah. um, in which they actually froze withdrawals. So last Friday, Celsius froze withdrawals. So I've got friends with like you know, a quarter of a mil worth of Bitcoin frozen in Celsius watching the yeah. market of Bitcoin go down and not be able to sell. Yeah. And so this was another kind of whale run on an institution to test this liquidity because that's the market. The market likes to test things, right? Um, and it has bounced back up because Celsius were able to, I think they've sold about another $150 million worth of crypto that they have in DAOs and, and all the rest of it. But it, it just shows the volatility that the industry is still very, very new. Um, you know, Hex came out and offered to buy their collateralized loan book. Um, again, this is, this is something that no one kind of guessed until basically the last week or two. Some people started thinking, well, what happens if the same thing happens from Luna to Celsius? And it caused a run on this. And then the biggest actual um, VC funding crypto, um, I think it was called Three Strikes. <laughs> Three Strikes, oops. Um, they were the third strike and they actually have um, gone bankrupt this week. So that's another thing to watch out. So yeah. as kind of the markets go down, crypto goes down, forces certain like, you know, returns and liquidity events and the yeah. rest of it. I think it's interesting when you sort of got all your eggs in one basket type philosophy. And Correct. it happened years ago in Australia during the GFC with, uh, I'm not sure if you remember, their income funds were an investment that people could put their money into that were... Uh, I agree. They were sort of sold as similar to a turn deposit, but they weren't really. It was kind of, you know, um, income. They were dressed, they were investing into different areas. As soon as the government came out as an outside external force and guaranteed money in the bank to up to 250K, which is still there now, it was never even used. It was just to sort of help with people's confidence at the time. Then people went to draw from these income funds and say, well, it's not as safe as the bank, even though the bank never even got called on that. They went to cash everything out, this money wasn't as liquid as they needed to be, had to do a freeze on redemptions, which ended up impacting the price of the income funds. So it's time and time again, these sorts of things occur when- um, Agribusiness was the same thing, pre-GFC. You don't put all your eggs in one basket, basically. Yep. Unless um, it's money in the tank. Unless it's money in the tank, boys. General nature. <laughs> uh, uh, rapid yeah, fire. I'm in, I'm in rapid fire. You ready? Here we go, boys. Yeah, screen or not? No, no, no. I'm just going to read them out. Cool. Biden administration planning on more military funding. New tranche to be more than six hundred and fifty million dollars. Is uh, that for Ukraine? No, no, that's their own funding. Just six hundred and fifty million. Sorry, that's that's one of the tranches, Brad. So I'm not oh, sure how many tranches. They're up to eight hundred bill a year. So what's another six hundred and fifty mil? Elon Musk. Elon Musk said he would likely vote for Ron DeSantis for president in 2024. And for anyone that is not familiar, he's Florida. The, yeah, the governor of Florida who has been in the stash with Disney uh, over. Many oh, the right things. loves Ron. Yeah, they do. They really. Ron's love like him. a less crazy version of Trump. That's a that's a really good way to describe him. Um, the GM, so General Motors CFO, has said that they are still in line with their targets and trying to increase vehicle production by 25 to 30% year over year. Um, they have not seen signs of weakening consumer demand. So that's interesting. Um, they also said they'd be able to offset $5 billion in higher costs with higher prices and cost cutting. Uh, Biden has informed Zelensky that the United States will be provi providing another billion dollars in security assistance for Ukraine and also an additional 225 million in humanitarian assistance to help the people inside of Ukraine. Um, so I just love those ratios 200 million for the people, a billion dollars weapons. <laughs> yeah, I'd, is it a billion in weapons? I don't know, but it's anyway. In, 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 in similar news to um, the cost cutting, Spotify, and you probably heard this in a few 
um, companies, boys, but Spotify has said they're going to slow their hiring by 25%. So I don't know what, over what time period, but that's a fair chunk. Coinbase cutting 17%, so 10,000 people. Yeah, I heard about the Coinbase one as well. Um, minimum wages, Arnie? Minimum wages up? Yeah, minimum wages up here in Australia. That's not one of my rapid fires, though. Fauci got COVID, so <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how important that one is, but yeah, Fauci got COVID. And um, this is an interesting one, and I wanted to sort of end on this one. The EU is going to buy Russian gas in rubles under some conditions. What are those conditions? I don't know. Um, because so, Russia just cut the amount of supply to Germany and the rest of it by 75%. Yeah, so they're going to pay in rubles, which is going to you know prop up that ruble price a bit more so that's that's the rapid fire news items today boys oh, and um I love, I love your rapid fire segment Arndor. love it rapid and you even Thanks. managed to sneak in elon to who you're going to vote for you managed to sneak in elon i've got to get him into every single uh, one I want elon's email can... that came out Arnie, on q1 yeah everyone well, you're talking about the one where he said that they they basically they're going to suffer some pain but if they if they really ramp up the other production facilities they could still come out on top yeah that's what i love to see it as a shareholder we love to see it got a hustle into the end of the got a hustle hustle bustle Got to hustle hard, man. So right. he also right. said during the week that he thinks that if if the if the current trajectory continues, that Lucid and Rivian are heading towards bankruptcy. Yeah, well, that would help him, wouldn't it? Um, there's a couple of times he was heading towards bankruptcy. Let's be honest. The I don't think he said. It, I don't think he said it maliciously. People have people have speculated that he's doing it to to it's to drive the to price down, right? Yeah, but I, like. Competitors. I, but he has consistently said he wants to see them do well. And he's consistently said that his mission is to transform the auto industry to EVs. So it and sort you of goes consistently against, love Elon. Oh, I just feel like he, he gets a lot of unjust hate. Doesn't mind to be in the headlines, does he, Arnie? You know, he loves the spotlight for sure. Loves the spotlight. And, uh, great podcast today, crew. And uh, just to wrap it up, has uh, anyone got a 50-50 for this week uh, that they like to throw out? Oh, you've put me on the spot here. Uh, I, I didn't have one, but I was just thinking of one then. Oh, if you're to buy crypto, if you buy Bitcoin or ETH, what would you do? No, right? wait, I've got one too. So let's do that and then I'll throw one at you. Yep. So Bitcoin or ETH, I'd buy ETH right now. Yep. Probably yep. Yeah, under nearly $1,000. Yep. Uh, I, I got one for you and I'll try and make it quick, right? So shout out to my friend Ryan. He has been looking pretty heavily at Hood, Robin Hood. And they, we, we covered the news last week about how they're thinking about stopping payment for order flow. But that stock has just hit a level where they've got more cash on their balance sheet than what they're valued at in the stock market currently. So just in cash alone, they've got more there than what the stock is currently being priced at or valued at. So if I had to ask you boys, 50-50 on the spot, would you buy any hood right now? So you're saying the price to book ratio, Arnie? Price to so book, price yeah. book is obviously theoretically if you left it the company stopped operations and sold all its assets. If you liquidated it right now, you'd be earning money, yeah, on top of what you bought it at. Well, they're not going to stop operating. And I don't believe that the people that use Hood would use Hood or have used Hood would use Hood again because they've been burnt. So, nah, I wouldn't buy them. You wouldn't buy them? No. Nah. Jolly? No, nah, I'd probably be similar, yeah. And I think there's some legislation coming out that might work against them. Is that right? Yeah. There's further context to this argument about how they might be the target of an acquisition. But I um, I actually would. I, I'm thinking about buying some here because I feel like as a, as a long-term play, if, even if they don't get acquired, it's a, it's a brand name that's sort of become pretty famous. And I can't see them burning through their cash so fast that they're going to be a going concern anytime soon. So the fact that like you could literally pick it up right now 
and they've got more assets, you know, than what they're being valued at. And if it were to be liquidated, like Brad said, you'd be actually earning money. These are 50 Here we go, Tankers. Perfect investor over, like the perfect. These are, these 50 50s are way too financy, guys. So uh, <laughs> how about we go with one that I've just thought of then a 25, 25, 25 to wrap us up. That's okay. Quarter, 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 quarter. Uh, during the current Melbourne climate of freezing cold, you have the choice of ducted heating, a split system, an open place fire, or a canara, which is one of those, for those people that don't know, a canara is like a big black kind of thing that sits in the middle of your room you put wood into, whatever. What's the preference? Personally speaking, I had a canara when I was growing up and I loved it because it's like a fire, but like not open. Last, <laughs> and you can like turn that fan up. Yeah. I live in an apartment, so canara not so good. Um, so I'd probably pick my split system here, but Canara is my choice. Canara's choice. I would choose ducted heating because I've got two small children and I want to keep them consistently warm overnight to a level efficiently. So that's what I would choose. But do I, if I, if I was choosing just on like love of a heat source, it'd be an open fire. Okay. Yeah. I'll be, I'm thinking I'd like a Canara, but I'm sort of more thinking selfishly if I'm like by myself in a shack or whatever. Open fire. Canara, <laughs> Canara, Canara, I reckon just so much more efficient than an open fire. Fire just burns wood too quickly. Canara, Canara is very efficient. All night. all night. Let's take it from me who used to have to cut and stack red gum from out of the backyard. I can guarantee you Canara, efficient. Uh, love <laughs> it. Uh, good stuff, guys. Well, um, thanks for episode 35. Listeners out there, uh, how can they get out of Sarni? At Money in the Tank, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Yeah. Is that four or five in a row, boys? Yeah, I think that's five in a row. I think thirty yeah, is where we've been. Yeah. We've been sticking to it. So I missed one. Yeah, six. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, right, uh, good stuff. We'll keep we'll keep you coming through and uh, keep the questions coming. We love them. Cheers. Peace Bye. out.